You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, I wanted to take just a moment and introduce our guest speaker today. I first heard him speak uh, over a year ago. Uh, And I heard him speak on a topic we don't often talk about in church community. I've heard many messages on being married and marriage life, but I have not heard many about the gift of singleness and what it means to be single and what it means to be married in a healthy context. And so Sam Albury comes from uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, He is English, as his accent will betray just shortly. (laughs) Uh, He studied theology at Wycliffe College in Oxford. He's an ordained minister with the Church of England. Uh, He is presently uh, full-time with Ravi Zacharias Ministries International, so many of you would know uh, this great apologist, Ravi Zacharias. He's an author. He's written many books, a commentary in the book of James. We brought in a couple into our resource center. He wrote a great book called Why Bother with the Church? I love the subtitle. And other questions about why you need it and why it needs you. And then he wrote a book that is a best-selling, over 100,000 copies sold, uh, Is God Anti-Gay? fantastic book, and it really will feed some of our talk this evening. When we gather in this room at 5.30, we're going to have a talk about human sexuality, and we're going to have a talk about same-sex attraction, how do God and, and our sexuality and our culture intersect, and it's going to be a wonderful conversation, one of which you can come, you'll be able to text your questions in, Sam will be answering all those questions as well as uh, doing some teaching around it, it'll be a wonderful time uh, this evening. But you know, uh, I've got to know Sam over the last two days, and I've just grown to just appreciate him. I already feel like I'm a friend of his, even though we've just met, but his genuineness, his commitment to scripture, his commitment to the body of Christ is so commendable. So I would commend our brother to you before he even comes here. But let's give uh, Sam Albury a warm welcome to Agent Corps Pentecostal Church. Well, good morning, and thank you for your welcome. I come from a land without summer to a land without spring. (laughs) So we we could have timed this a whole lot better. So we're thinking this morning about the issue of of singleness. There's um, a TV show back in the UK called QI, which stands for Quite Interesting, and it's a panel show where different comedians and celebrities uh, come along, and they're presented with and discuss things that are quite interesting. And uh, one of the moments in the show is um, a round called General Ignorance, where they take something we assume is all, that we all assume is true, and then show us how actually that's not actually the case. So um, I remember watching one week, they showed us that the Battle of Hastings, a very famous thing in British history, wasn't in Hastings, which was news to me. Um, we found out on one episode that the Earth has more than one moon. I didn't know that, but apparently whatever the technical definition of a moon is, we've got more than one of them floating around us, all kinds of other stuff up there somewhere. And I mention that because I think we could do the same thing with singleness. There is so much we assume to be the case when it comes to singleness that actually is not really true. Um, Let me just say why it is all of us need to hear what the Bible teaches on singleness. Uh, Many of us will be single, so there's a direct application to many of us. I think 45% of of this church family is single. But even for for those of you who are married, if I can put this starkly, 
Half of you will be single again one day. Not something we often like to think about, not something that's comfortable to think about, but being married does not guarantee that you are done with singleness. But more than that, because we are a body, as the New Testament describes, what affects one part of us is going to affect all of us. And therefore, all of us have a stake in better understanding singleness. Not least because, as I think we will see, that if we've misunderstood singleness, it's a sign most likely that we've misunderstood marriage as well. So I'm going to walk us through five particular common misunderstandings about singleness. And just to say that by singleness, what I mean is being both unmarried and sexually abstinent. Uh, We'll be discussing a bit more of this this evening at the session on sexuality, but the Bible is very clear that sex outside of marriage is a sin. And therefore, singleness for the Christian is more than just the lack of a long-term relationship. It's actually being celibate for as long as we're single, being sexually inactive and pure. So let me walk us through these five common misunderstandings. The first is this. That singleness is bad for you. It's just, it's just bad. Um, a couple of movies in the last few years kind of show us how laughable long-term singleness is to our culture. You remember the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin? Just the very concept that you could have lived 40 years of your life and still be a virgin, that is seen as comical. Or there's another movie which I never got to see, but the the strapline really struck me. The movie's called 40 Days and 40 Nights, and the strapline is this. One man is about to do the unthinkable. No sex whatsoever for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, a month and a bit without sex, to many people in our culture, is unthinkable. So just take a moment to reflect on what our culture would make of a Christian who is single long-term and faithful to the teachings of Jesus on sexual ethics. If 40 nights and 40 days is unthinkable, some of us are looking at decades. And so our culture would not be able to conceive of how ridiculous we would be to live in that way. But more than that, our our culture doesn't just say that long-term singleness is laughable, it says that long-term singleness is harmful. Uh, Without sex, many people believe, you, you can't really experience what it is to be truly human. Our sense of personhood is, is directly attached to our sex life. And so this is a fundamental aspect of your humanity, and so to, to deny it is to do something quite harmful. You're actually living a, a kind of shriveled, withered life. That can feel very compelling. But as Christians, let's just remember the life of Jesus. We believe that he was the most 
fully human and the most complete person who ever lived, right? And yet Jesus was never romantically involved, he was never married, and he never had sex. So the moment we say that any of those things is essential to human fulfillment, we are actually calling Jesus subhuman. Now, the Bible gives us a much healthier way of thinking about these things. Um, if you've got access to a, to a Bible or on a device, do turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 just for a moment. I want to show you a couple of things that may be surprising for us that Paul says about singleness in this passage. Uh, we tend to define singleness by what it is the absence of. And so we define singleness by it's the state of not being married. So we say that single people are unmarried. We don't say married people are unsingle. But it's interesting, when Paul defines singleness by what it's without, listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28. Paul says, if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Okay, Paul is not down on marriage. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Okay, friends, listen to that. There are certain joys of married life you don't get to experience if you are single. But that is not the whole picture. Paul says there are also troubles. Troubles that come with being part of a family life that we are spared if we are single. We don't have to look very far to see what some of those troubles are. I've seen a number of very unhappy marriages. I know people who've lost a spouse, people who've lost children. Any number of, of deep unimaginably painful things that being single, I'm spared. The fact is that both marriage and singleness have their own ups and downs, but the danger is that we compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. Marriage is hard. Paul is assuming it's hard. It's a great thing. It's a gift. But it's a gift that can be deeply, deeply painful. Well, Paul doesn't just show us what we are spared as single people. He shows us what we are free for. And again, the answer is very different to how we might naturally think. Many of us would tend to think singleness is great because you, you just don't have all those commitments. You can just live the life you want to live. You don't have to revolve around other people. You can do what you want in the way you want to do it. But listen to how Paul says it. Um, chapter 7, verse 32, he said, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord or how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. Paul is not saying you must be single. 
but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is saying that if you are single, you can devote yourself to Christ in a much more straightforward way than if you were married. Those of us who are single, we are pulled in fewer directions than those of us who are married. Life is just a a bit more straightforward. As As a single person, it is very easy for me to drop everything at a moment's notice and go and help someone. Actually, it's a great privilege of being single, being able to do that. There's a freedom. That is not the case if you are are married and especially if you're married with kids. I've seen families try to leave the front door. Okay, it's a kind of 45-minute exercise in, in many cases. But there's a flexibility that comes from being single. And Paul says that flexibility is not for our benefit. It's so that we can be of service to Christ. We can be devoted to him. So friends, singleness is not bad. If you think it is, you're calling God a liar. Secondly, singleness, next misunderstanding, singleness requires a special calling. That's the second misunderstanding. Um, One of the sacrifices for the gospel I've made uh, this weekend is being here rather than seeing the Avengers back home. Okay, the new Avengers movie is out this weekend. And we can't seem to get enough of superhero movies. You get the superhero movies, then there's the sequels, then they do a reboot of, of the whole thing, and then there's a sequel of the reboot. Then there's a crossover movie with all of the above present in it, then there's a sequel to the crossover movie, and then they'll reboot that as well at some point. Uh, We just love the idea of some specially, uniquely empowered person coming in and saving the world. And saving the world is so difficult, you need a superpower to do it. And the common thinking is that being single is also so difficult that, again, you need a superpower to do it. Uh, Paul says in, again, 1 Corinthians 7, this time verse 7, he says that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. In the context, Paul is talking about both marriage and singleness. Paul is saying both the gifts. And so hence we have the language of, of the gift of singleness. But many of us assume that the gift of singleness is some special capacity to live as a single person. We assume that the gift of singleness is is not having any sexual desires or romantic yearnings. Or maybe it's the fact that you're quite happy on your own a lot. And so a lot of people will be thinking, well, I know I'm single, but I don't have the gift of singleness. But that can't be what Paul is talking about. For starters, if that is what Paul means, and it says something really awful about singleness, that you need some extra special capacity just to cope with it. But also, what is to stop someone thinking in a similar way about marriage? If someone is in a difficult season in their married life, what is to stop them from saying, yeah, well, I know I'm married, but 
I just, I don't think I have the gift of marriage. I've seen people who have gone into disobedient relationships because they've said, well, I don't have the gift of singleness, so it's God's fault. So better for me to sin by having a kind of relationship the Bible actually prohibits than trying to survive being single. No, when Paul talks about the gift of singleness, he's not talking about some capacity we feel we might have. No, Paul is talking about the actual state of singleness itself. The condition of being single, and for that matter, the condition of being married, those are gifts. Those are opportunities to experience the goodness of God. But we need to have eyes to see that. And it's wonderful to know because it it takes all the pressure off. It doesn't matter if I'm single or I'm married. Either way, I get to experience the blessing of God. Either way, I get to receive a good gift from him. So, singleness is bad for you. Singleness requires a special calling. Thirdly, singleness is isolating. That's the third misunderstanding. Um, Someone phoned me up a while ago to invite me to come and speak at an event. And uh, during the course of the conversation, he said, if if Mrs. Albury would like to come too, she's very welcome. And I said, that's very kind of you. I'll I'll see what my mother's up to and see if she's free and, and wants to come. She... No idea what she's doing that day. but um, And the conversation suddenly got very awkward. The person didn't so much seem embarrassed about the misunderstanding as they did awkward about the fact that I wasn't married. And the assumption is that if you are single, you are doomed to a life of loneliness. That we think that shows that we've misunderstood two things. It shows we've misunderstood actually what the Bible says about intimacy. In our culture, we have so collapsed sex and intimacy together that we we can't really imagine one without the other. We can't really conceive of any kind of intimacy that isn't ultimately sexual. And so we hear previous generations talk about really deep friendship, and we kind of roll our 21st century eyes and say, oh, they, they must have been gay. Because how else can we account for that closeness? That's a very recent, western and unhealthy way to think. That the Bible shows us you can have a lot of sex and not be experiencing intimacy. The Bible also shows us that you can experience a lot of intimacy and not be having sex. Paul was single, but Paul was not a lone ranger. 
So next time you're rummaging around in the book of Romans, read chapter 16. It's like we kind of skip over it. It's lots of names. It looks like the end credits to the letter to the Romans. But it's a a chapter that shows us just how embedded in relationships Paul really was. He was not on his own. Paul experienced intimacy. All the way through the chapter, he uses the language of, of family to describe these relationships. Jesus was a man who experienced intimacy. He did life with with a whole group of people. Within that group, there were the three disciples that Jesus particularly spent time with. And even within the three, there was the disciple Jesus loved. And we see even examples of Jesus reclining with that disciple. One of the main categories the Bible gives us for intimacy is friendship. But because culturally we've put all the focus on the sexual and the romantic, we've downgraded friendship. We've turned friend from a noun into a verb. You add someone on social media and you've friended them. That is what friendship means to us. It's it's having access to your contact details. That's a pathetic view of friendship. If you're on Facebook and and have 500 friends, what you have 500 of is not a friend. Um, In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for friend is, is very closely linked to the Hebrew word for secret. Because in the Bible, a friend is someone you tell your secrets to. It's someone you open up to. It's someone who knows the real you. There's someone who knows what's going on inside. Uh, Jesus actually gives us an example of this. This is a a beautiful verse, John 15, verse 15. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, no longer do I call you servants. He's not saying that there's no aspect of, of serving in our discipleship. He's just saying there's a better word now to describe the whole experience. He says... No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. You're out of the loop if you're a servant. If you are only a servant, there's so much that you don't have clearance for, that's above your pay grade, you just don't have access to. But listen to what Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants, but I've called you friends. For... And this bit's key because it's going to show us what Jesus understands friendship to consist of. Why is he calling us friends? Because all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus has not hidden things from us. Jesus has led us the whole way in. And he says that is what makes it friendship. And that is what each of us needs. The book of Proverbs says you cannot be wise in God's world without friends. That is true whether you are single or whether you are married. If you are married, you need friends. Please don't think that your spouse is going to meet all of your friendship needs. I've seen marriages fall apart for lack of friendship.
In the Bible, intimacy is being deeply, deeply known and deeply, deeply loved. And it gives us such a broader vision of how to experience that than just a romantic and sexual partnership. So we need to recover a proper understanding of, of intimacy, but, but also we need to recover a proper understanding of the church being a family. When the Bible refers to us as fellow believers being brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean that in some kind of nice, honorary way. It says it's real. It's spiritual fact. If God is your father, then your fellow Christians are now your brothers and sisters. You are part of the same family. And so the New Testament repeatedly insists that the local church is a family. I fear sometimes we use the language of being a family together because it makes us sound nice. It's kind of good PR. But it's meant to be completely real. It should be the case that all of us, as members of a church community, can say, do you know what, I have so many mothers and fathers... So many brothers and sisters, so many sons and daughters, by virtue of being part of this community. We're meant to be family. And so those of us who have a biological family need to make sure that the boundary between our biological family and our spiritual family is blurred. Because your family now is not just people with the same last name as you. It's actually people who've been baptized into the same name as you. They are your family. And whilst blood is thicker than water, the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of biology. If you have children, your children need the input of the wider church family. No two parents can be everything their children need them to be. Our culture tends to say that actually when you've got your nuclear family, you now have the basic units for doing life. And so once you've got your spouse and your 2.4 children and throw in a, a puppy somewhere, what you do then is you pull up the drawbridge and you try and make that unit self-contained and self-sufficient and friends, that is desperately unhealthy. God has designed us to need the extended spiritual family of our church community. So even those of us who don't have biological families should be able to say, I have family. Singleness can be isolating. But among the people of God, it should never be isolating. Now, we're all wired differently. We all have different personality types. Some people prefer a bit more time on their own. That's fine. But no one should feel lonely among God's people. Number four, singleness is a waste of your sexuality. 
It just leaves this whole aspect of your humanity completely redundant and unfulfilled. I mentioned the Avengers. I, I love going to see movies. One of my favorite aspects of going to see a movie is the trailers for the, the other movies that are, are coming soon. I love that. Someone has gone to the trouble of watching a movie, picking out the best bits, showing you a little package, and you can sit there and think, that's great, now I don't need to go and see that movie. <laughs> okay, if it's a period drama and something of Jane austen or whatever it is, I can look at the trailer and think, that's brilliant. I've just saved three hours of my life. Now, the Bible begins with a wedding. It begins with the marriage of Adam and Eve, and it ends with the marriage of Jesus and his people. And what the Bible shows us is that first marriage is like a movie trailer for the marriage that is to come. It's a weird concept for those of us who are new to Christian things, but the Bible repeatedly says that the people of God are his bride and that God himself is our groom. What's going on there is it's not that God is saying, hey, my relationship with you guys is a bit like, um, hey, yeah, there's marriage. It's a bit like marriage. It's the other way around. God has embedded within human society something called marriage in order that it would be a reflection of the kind of relationship all of us were built for. A relationship with God. Now, if we understand that, that will reshape the way we think about both marriage and singleness. It will reshape the way we think about marriage because it will show us that, that marriage is meant to point beyond itself. It's meant to point to the ultimate marriage that we have in Jesus. The marriage that we do need. And friends, if that is the case, then your marriage now is not meant to fulfill you. It's meant to point to the thing that can fulfill you. If you marry someone thinking, this person is going to meet all of my emotional needs, this person is going to complete me, I promise you, you are going to be a nightmare to be married to. Okay, you're putting a burden on that person they are not designed to bear. Our ultimate marriage is to Christ. That is the real marriage. And the wonderful thing about that perspective is it means we, we neither demean marriage now, but nor do we idolize it. I took a, a wedding a, not long ago for a, a lovely young couple at our church. And I just felt led to say to them in the middle of the, the, the sermon, I just said to them, listen, if at some point you find your marriage disappoints you, please bear in mind that's because it's supposed to. It's supposed to. It's not meant to be ultimate. Maybe don't put that in your anniversary card. You know, here's another year of you disappointing me and not fulfilling me. Thanks, babe. But I say that because I've, I've lost count of the number of times I've heard Christians saying of their spouse 
something a believer should only say of Jesus Christ. I heard one young guy waxing, uh, waxing lyrical about his, his Christian bride, who's a lovely lady, and he said at one point, she's the light of my world. And I remember thinking, no, she's not. <laughs> and actually, you are not loving her by saying things of her that you should only say of Jesus. Jesus did not make that, that poor woman to be the light of your world. And in case you hadn't noticed, someone else has already taken that job. Now, when we see what marriage points to, we will have a much more healthy perspective on it. But we will also have a much more healthy perspective on singleness. Because actually, it, it also shows us that singleness, too, has a unique way of testifying to the gospel. So think about it. Jesus says that in the age to come, there will be no human marriage. The reason is we will have the real thing. We won't need the signpost. And so being single now is a way of saying, I've got the real thing. And so I can live without the model for it. It's a way of saying, I know I have the entree, I don't need the appetizer. It's a way of saying that that reality that is going to come for all of God's people is so real and so good that I can live according to it now. It's a way of saying to a world that is obsessed by romantic and sexual companionship that those things are not ultimate. And we have the thing that is. So if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. That if we are married in Christ, we don't need to be married in this age. It's not wrong to be, it's a great gift. But it's not essential. Those of you who are parents, please make sure your highest ambition for your kids is not their marriage. That if your child remains single for life, either through choice or through circumstance, and they use that singleness to serve Jesus Christ, what more could you ask for? Does that not matter far, far more than whether you get the grandkids you've always dreamed of? Being single, biblically, does not waste your sexuality. God has made us sexual beings because our sexual appetite is meant to show us there is an appetite that is deeper still. There is a consummation to come that is even greater than the consummation of, of the one flesh union between a, a husband and his wife. And so the role of our sexual appetite is to point us to that deeper need and that greater fulfillment. Whether you are married or single, let the fact that you are a sexual being remind you 
that you are ultimately built for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the wonderfully liberating thing then is you don't have to meet your sexual desires for their purpose to be fulfilled. If you're married and you're feeling sexually fulfilled, let that fulfillment speak to you of a much, much greater fulfillment that awaits you. And if you're filled with sexual longing, then let those longings point you to a much greater longing in your heart, a longing for the God who made you to be in a a one-spirit relationship with him. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 6 that just as the, the man and the woman become one flesh, so too when we believe in Christ, we become one with him in spirit. The one flesh union points to the deeper, eternal, one spirit union we have with Jesus Christ. Which leads to our final misunderstanding and a a brief one. That singleness is just unfulfilling. Uh, Let me read to you one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible. It's... It's a verse I need to hear every day. Jesus says in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I've always misunderstood that verse. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and I kind of think he's listing off his resume. You know, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And oh, and by the way, I'm also the bread of life. Did I mention that one? I've got the certificate somewhere. I'm the bread of life too. And I kind of read it going, oh, that's well done. Yep, good. I think I don't know what it means, but well done that you are. When we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, we think he's saying, do you feel like a bit of bread? And the honest answer is, eh, maybe. I was out for lunch with a friend recently. A waiter came up and said, would you like any bread for the table? And we said, no, we're we're fine for now, thanks. And so when we hear Jesus say on the bread of life, we think he's saying, would would sir like any religion for the table? Would you like a little bit of spirituality while I'm here? But in Jesus' day, if you didn't have bread, you didn't live. No bread meant no life. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am to your soul what bread is to a starving stomach. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, I am the only one who can satisfy you on the very, very deepest level. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he is saying a relationship with him is the one relationship that will never disappoint you. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he is saying, if you look anywhere else for ultimate satisfaction, you are going to remain hungry in your soul. 
And actually, you'll end up resenting whatever it is that you think is meant to fill you and isn't. There are days when, as a single person, I think, man, I'd love to be a husband. And I'd love to be a dad. But John 6, verse 35 is is saying to me, those are great gifts, but that is not the real win. The real win for any of us, whether we are married or single, and whether we are happy or unhappy in either of those situations, the real win for us is that we get more of Jesus. I love that bit in Philippians 3 where Paul says, I want to know Christ. And we read it and think, Paul, you do know Christ. You're, a, you're an apostle for crying out loud. You wrote the book of Romans. You understand the book of Romans. But Paul, who's been an apostle for 30 years, can still say, no, 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 no. I want to know Christ. Because the sign of someone who knows Christ is they want nothing more than to know Christ more. When I realize Jesus is the bread of life, I can't get enough bread. You just can't have enough Jesus. Friends, if you find singleness unfulfilling, for that matter, if you find marriage unfulfilling, it is probably because you are finding Jesus unfulfilling. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There is not a day in my life when I don't need to hear that. There is not a day in my life when my stupid, hungry soul isn't going after something else, thinking maybe that will do it. Jesus alone is the one who can satisfy Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for every good thing that we have in Jesus Christ. But we praise you above all that we have Christ. Thank you, Father, that he is the prize. He is the goal. He is the reward. He's never the means to some other end. He is all we could need and all we could want. So we pray that whether we are married or single, that we would be married or be single for Jesus Christ, that we would conduct our marriages or conduct our singleness in a way that shows the beauty of the ultimate marriage that we have in him. Help our lives to point to him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.